0: Spring is coming early this year, isn't it? There's nothing we can do about it. (laughs) That's kind of a relief, you know. That's the way I look at the weather. Uh, I check the weather often, but uh, then I realize, well, that's totally in God's hands. It really is. (laughs) Everything is, but somehow that one really strikes home. And uh, I'd like for you to have your Bibles open, please, and turn, turn to uh, Romans chapter 12. That's where we're going to be. Romans 12. Follow with me. I'm going to read uh, some passages consecutively. You're at Romans 12. You're at the right place. But then I have a supplement to that for our scripture reading. That's. Uh, I think it's obviously connected to what we're going to begin to do this morning. In verse nine, we only have uh, three commands in one verse to look upon this morning. And we'll go there. So now I'm going to begin to read in Romans in chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, and which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern... What is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect? Now, just let your eye run down to the ninth verse. This is not to give a backseat to those verses that intervene, but I've got others, passages that uh, we'll look at. Verse nine Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil. just as a preview of this passage, we're going to be looking only at the ninth verse. You have an outline in your bulletin. If you use that to take notes, you're going to be a little conflicted because we've got next week's outline plus this week's, and it really works well because they're on pages uh, opposite one another, and they really supplement one another. So it works out well in that way. Now, I'm going to begin to read some passages if uh, you want to try to keep up, uh, but I wouldn't want that to distract you from hearing what is being read. So let's get our minds uh, clearly upon what we're going to hear and take note of the common thread that runs through these passages. There are five of them. Genesis 2, verses 8 and 9. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Genesis 2 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Genesis 3, verses 4 through 7. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing Good and evil. So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together made themselves loincloths. Genesis 6, 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. In Proverbs 4, or excuse me, 8 and verse 13. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance in the way of evil, and perverted speech. I hate. I trust that you saw the thread of thought that runs through those and the connection with verse 9 of Romans. Well, as we go there, let me give you a prayer request. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to look into the Scriptures. And... This comes. It's dated. This is from on the back of our prayer calendar, February the 9th, twenty twenty-three, Sri Lanka. Heading here for these four request paragraphs. The first of which I call our attention to is pray for the persecuted church. When Pastor Ranjan, Ranjan excuse me, Ranjan of Nala, Sri Lanka approached local authorities for a permit to build a worship place, they refused. He then built an extension on his house to serve as a place of Christian worship. Under the influence of local Buddhist monks, police, and government officials, they have declared the space an illegal worship place. They are threatening to seize and destroy not just the extension, but Pastor Ranjan's entire house. Pastor Ranjan's wife is experiencing medical problems and depression as as a result of this persecution. And believers are reluctant to attend church because of government scrutiny. Pray for this family and the church that meets in their home. I'm not trying to create any comparative of misery and difficulty, but we should share the burdens that our brothers and sisters in Christ bear in other places around the world. Let's pray before we look into the Scriptures. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We thank you, Lord, that your word indeed, all of your word, is God-breathed. You breathed it out. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And our God, our Father, we look to you as your sovereign over the affairs of our world and this nation. Oh, my. Lord, it is... It is, it's daunting as we consider what's happening around us, the dissolution, the falling apart of our nation, our society, our culture, how quickly it has turned on you. Oh, Lord, what must you think? And we read the passages of your judgment and through the scriptures and how that, well, we see that you're patient. We thank you for it. Thank you, that you for your long suffering. Father there are some of oh, the needs are tremendous in our government in all our institutions quicken our own determination this morning in what it means to be your people on this earth dark as it is because of the curse of sin and death renew refresh renew our commitments to you and then we would learn to love one another. Father, I pray for these who are with us and not with us. Some are not well. Lord, we come together. We rejoice to see one another, encourage one another. Thank you that you have enabled us to do that. Now, our Lord, open up this, your word. Open our eyes that we'll see wonderful things from your law. Amen. When you look at Romans in chapter twelve and verse nine, you would want to be aware of the fact that we're downstream, a ways from a turn in the river. If you think of that, think of it that way. As the thought flows through the book of Romans, and we're gathered up here into verse nine with three imperatives, three of them, three truths. That's all. I, really, they all pivot around truth, and it's about truth. And we're immediately hit with a couple of responses, and more than that, I'm sure, but at least here we have love and hate in the same line of thought. How do you do that? Now I can say, love. All right, you might be able to gin it up pretty quickly, but then I say, hate. Ooh, uh, what do I do? Uh, I don't feel, I slept well last night, I'm not mad at anyone at the moment. Hate. Abhor evil is what he says. If you look at this text, I want to say a few things about it, and then we'll get right to business. They are really imperatives. We've got three imperatives working here. The language I won't. Uh, we won't need to go there. There are some verb forms that are used, participles, but they're used as commands, as imperatives. Love to be without hypocrisy. No fake. No fake to it. It's the real thing. It's not phony. It doesn't look good and on the outside and on the inside. Well, on the outside, it's polite. It's uh, courteous. There's a smile. But on the inside of the cup, oh, there is death. It's ugly. That's what Jesus told the Pharisees. <laughs> he likened them to that, sepulchers look good painted up on the outside like tombs but inside are the dead well that's hypocrisy when it appears one thing on the outside and it's something quite different on the inside what is it they say that uh, hypocrisy is vice is tribute to virtue Uh, and so be without hypocrisy don't try to fake it you can't and then we're told to abhor what is evil. All right, let's go with that. And notice drafting on that is that we are to cling tightly to what is good. Uh, just a forecast on this. We're really going to take that latter statement and that we uh, glue to or cling to good. Uh, we're going to give it more than equal time on this abhor what is evil. We're going to go to that and work through that next week, Lord willing. But I want us to come in and look at this for a moment, this, this matter of this second imperative. You know what God's done? He's put us all in a rock tumbler. I had one of those one time, thought I'd play with I don't remember if it were the kids, but I got interested in it. You get all these rough rocks, and then it takes them and polishes them up to look like some nice gemstones. Welcome to the rock tumbler. Part of the rock-tumbling process is a local church. Church where you've got all kinds of different personalities and different backgrounds and different outlooks and male and female and different ages. And church is a wonderful place to, for the polishing process to bring us to maturity in Christ. And what in the very middle of it is, is love. Love is that which kind of pulls it all together. That's what's been developed down through this point in the book. We looked over. We went over to Roman or excuse me, First Corinthians thirteen last week. You recall that one? Uh, recall that uh, we went through those fifteen different, very shoe leather characteristics of love. It kind of makes you squirm when you go through it. I, I recommended that you memorize that and uh, probably go through it uh, once a day, at least a few times during the week, and pray through it. Use it in that way. But now here we are looking at this point with regard to directing us along the way through life in the church and what is the key to our relationships with a variety of gifts that we have. That was the background to this. That God has distributed different gifts. You have a gift package, everyone here. You have your own unique set of gifts, one or more. And that we function together as we should, as we will, Because these gifts are operative. We don't go around with a name tag, I have the gift of. Probably wouldn't really be healthy. Just serve. And then whatever gift set you have, it'll emerge. It'll show. But what is important here is that love is more important to a Christian than any gift that you may have. Not to minimize the gift. But you can practice your gift and be a real stinker. Uh, so we can do that, but uh, love is the key. Uh, can I say this briefly to the teenagers who are here? There are some, oh, I love to have teenagers in the audience. I do love it. I want to say something to you, and I just use the word love, and I'm going to speak of that for a moment. It occurred to me in going through those characteristics of love and what we're doing here, that when you start out in adolescence, start out, start out in being much more uh, peer-aware, you, you know, well, those, I don't know about you, 8th, you know, I'll put 7th, put 8th, ninth, 10th grade. Now, those were some really tough years. And, uh, and also connected with that, with some, earlier than that even, you begin to notice the opposite sex. And that just really opens up a lot, you know. So much for all those innocent runs through the woods playing Fox and the Hound. Do they play that anymore? I don't know. Working with a video game <laughs> whatever. And then all of a sudden, though, you, your world gets a little shaken up. And then all of a sudden, I'll speak to the fellows, uh, ladies, you, the young ladies, you can, you, you can draft on this, that you see some pretty little girl and it just changes your world. You don't think the same anymore. You get irrational, and it's inexplicable. You've got emotions to cope with that, well, you know, I don't want to sit out and say, "Mom and Daddy, let me tell you why. What's going on?" I saw this young this girl at school, and you don't go there normally and say that. And so it is. And so as you move along through middle school and high school. Same thing, happened, you get smitten. There was a word that was uh, uh, used to help us work through that kind of emotional condition that you get into in those years. And it helped uh, some adults work with us, youth pastors so on. It's the word infatuation. I want to help, I I can't stay here, Uh, but I want to help you. If you're, you're young, you may be infatuated now. You've seen a guy, or you've seen a girl, and you just aren't your regular self, the one you used to be. And your, your thoughts are just going crazy. Well, just to let you know what may be happening is infatuation is not really love. So the emotion that you're going through, and I'm not picking on you, I'm just cluing you in. So you don't get things out of balance. You, you, you don't walk up someone to whom you're infatuated and say, will you marry me? Oh, you are not ready at that point. <laughs> and infatuation. and you look it up in the dictionary, it's, uh, it'll really uh, kind of slap you around. It's to inspire with a foolish, extreme or unreasoning passion. That's what the dictionary says. Infatuation. The emotions are on just clicking on all cylinders. and you but what word is used to describe that? Love. Not yet, Now, not saying there may be a, not be an element there. That's a little sermonette that I just thought I would put in up front because as I was going through it last week, I thought if I'm, I'm a teenager and I'm listening to the man in the pulpit who's talking about love and I've got somebody on my mind, okay, I'll let you go through 1 Corinthians 13 and 4 through what, 6 or 7 and work that through. Well, let's go along here and look at this next statement. I want to get right to it. That love is discerning. That's what love is. It sorts things out. It sees things as they should be seen. Love is discerning. And by the way, one other thing about love, that this love which he says is discerning, and he's going to go on to say other, other things about it. We're just right on the shoreline of some other matters that we'll give our attention to next week. But he says, love is discerning. It abhors what is evil and cleaves to what is good. That uh, he's going to describe love's morality. Love has content to it. It functions in a discernible way for the purpose of discerning. And so here we're protected through life. We are protected by love in our relationships. That rock tumbler, I'm going to mix some metaphors here, that rock tumbler we're in, it really gives us the direction we need to go and can keep us out of some trouble. And more than that, it will give us the kind of finely tuned relationships that glorify God and where we can enjoy one another and honor him and live life the way it's supposed to be lived. Thank God for that. If you want to liken it to, I could. I had an experience the other day, reminding me of the way love works over the bridge. Remember that song, Simon and Garfunkel? Like a bridge over troubled waters. <laughs> what was it? I think it may have been in the background. It may have been drugs they were singing about. Like a bridge over troubled waters. Well, that love, love is a bridge through life if we get on it and stay on it. We were going across the Nickajack Lake. You've been that way. You go up north of Chattanooga and you get all around those twists and turns. And then you come to this, it's the Tennessee River that's dammed up there, but whoa, and, and you know what? You're not far from a huge body of water. And you know what? You got winds blowing in your, on you about 40 miles an hour. And you got trucks that are blowing back. But you know, Thank God for a bridge, and thank God for a retaining wall right over there on the side. <laughs> it gets you to the other side. All right, weak analogy, but I hope you see where God wants to take us and what love is and what it does. And it'll get us to where he wants us to go and what he wants us to be. It takes time. It takes some bumps and bruises. It takes some uh, bad decisions. It takes some, a lot of things. So let's look at this. But what is this? I want to really squeeze this. This discerning. A, uh, abhor what is evil. Hate it. Discerning love hates evil. To hate evil, you've got to know what evil is. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more in just a moment. When we get to those, if you look across the page in, in your notes, you'll see about six ways we can fight. Fight. Fight evil. All right. We're going there. But making make this keep this clear that simply liking something doesn't make it good and if you like what is evil which uh, we've probably all uh, dipped into that if you like what is evil you know what we're to do change change that's what we're to do and if you don't like what is good change change evil is the enemy of love that's why he puts it here if you can't hate you can't love are you getting this now we've got to sort some things out I know but and by the way don't let the culture define for you what evil is and what good is oh everybody could give a hearty amen to that Oh, my, but are we swimming in some shark-infested waters? No, but the world, what, what does the culture tell us? Safe sex, embryonic stem cell research, same-sex marriage, things that really dishonor God. I came across this. It's worth uh, reading. It's from, I'll give you a little short, short run on it. Uh, this is from uh, Nancy Piercy's book. On Love Thy Body. Don't let the title throw you. It's a good book. She does good things. She's got some other works that are worth reading. And uh, she says this with regard to culture and in the, the context of the issue of answering hard questions about life and sexuality and the, the culture. Uh, she says, Many families hope to protect their children from radical ideas by walling off the secular world, supervising what books they read, what movies they see, what music they listen to. But secular worldviews do not come nearly uh, labeled, excuse me, neatly labeled so we can easily recognize them. Instead, they mutate into forms that we hardly recognize. Becoming part of the very air we breathe. The most powerful worldviews are the ones we absorb without knowing it. They are the ideas nobody talks about. The assumptions we pick up almost by osmosis. The the ideas we have traced, and she mentions a couple of names here that you would need to read the book in the background to get it, Freud and Foucault. These names, these ideas are traced to them, constitute the prevailing sexual orthodoxy. It informs the mindset of judges when they, make, when they rule on sexual issues. It shapes the arguments of legislators when they formulate new laws. It guides the way reporters frame the news. It is the attitude portrayed in TV sitcoms. Supermarket tabloids, what a disaster. What a way to leave the grocery store to see those headlines. Okay, and magazine articles, it is reflected in the lyrics of popular songs. It permeates virtually the entire entertainment industry. She puts in parentheses, how many movies have you seen that show sexual restraint as a good thing? I guess the last movie I can remember was with Clark Gable and it happened one night and he and, was it Claudette Colbert? You don't want to know about that. Do remember the Wall of Jericho? Okay, all right. All right. Um, Roger Ganji knows what I'm talking about here. Right. <laughs> so let's consider something further. Abhorring evil does not happen without God. If you've been having a love affair with evil, you can't, by your own willpower, suddenly start hating evil. Now, what the word evil does, got, I'm, I'm going there, we would define it, is that we think of something like, well, the Holocaust, Adolf Hitler, Mao Zedong, uh, Paul, uh, genocide, uh, Charles Manson, uh, dark figures, or the, the most recent one was Murdoch, South Carolina, shoots his wife and son in front. Of him. I, I, that was an awful, awful st- story. <laughs> and so we think, well, it's evil. Whew, not there. Hold on. Well, here's what has to happen. It takes, a, it takes a change of heart to really come to terms with evil, as we will see what it is. It takes a change of heart, and that comes in the new birth and a new nature. So, thank God, by His grace to us in regeneration and the work, the power of the Spirit, and the power of God's Word, we can change and we get ourselves a new heart. But I will tell you hating evil is a war to the grave, it's a fight. The fear of the Lord's to hate evil, Proverbs 8:13. So we'll have to ask ourselves some questions, and I'm going to well, all I is kick over a few rocks. Do you have cherished private evils? These sins, as are all sins, are unloving to others. So what we are faced with in discerning love is without hypocrisy. And abhors what's evil. Discerning love is tenacious, tenacious in the pursuit of God's moral law. So we're not simply now talking about some manipulation of emotion. No. Oh, emotion will be involved. And we're going to see something about that when we get in the next verse, 10, next week. But what makes good, good? There is such a good to which I am to conform, to be united with the good. Do I want the good? Well, then love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. You know what it takes? It takes some inner intensity. You really got to want to go after it. It won't just sweep over you as some emotional storm front. So there it is. Now here's what I'd like for you to see. And here's where we're going to go. Let's take this matter of abhorring evil. That's why I'm going to camp out on it right now. And I want us to get some things cleared up at first. So actually, I got another introduction, if you can follow me here. I want to be clear. First of all, let's say this. Let's say several things about hating evil, love and hating evil. First of all, uh, truth... Truth and love are connected at the hip. Very important. This, this is real love. L- love loves truth. And truth fleshes itself out and demonstrates itself through love. So here's what we must do. We confront the wrong way of thinking when we are called upon to hate evil. And what real love does, I saw this line, I wrote it down. Real love stands against the deception, the lie, the sin that destroys. Well, I said a moment ago, you know the entertainment world? We all have our likes and dislikes in fields of music, popular music, country music. I happen to have a long-term interest in some classical country music. But you know, it's got some bad stuff in it. I, I, I think it was in this genre of music This was said, if loving you is wrong, I don't wanna be right. And I can't, it can't be wrong if it feels so right. <laughs> That's awful! But you know, it's got a little tune to it and it gets up on the charts. But that's the, way, that's the way the world works. That's the way evil slips up on you. Before you know it, it's kind of wrapped itself around your head. That's the way it often goes. So here we are then. Let's consider right here. Here is what evil is. It's everything that is contrary to the character and will of God. Yeah. Now, you can break it down. If we were just going to do a series on evil, what we would see is that evil really is uh, it's sin, it's suffering, it's death. Suffering isn't evil. That's not the way God... God didn't build that into his original creation. He didn't build death into his original creation. He didn't build sin into his original creation. When Adam and Eve were roaming around the garden, they had not encountered it until... until that smooth talking... Whatever it was, it wasn't, it wasn't a Burmese python, I can tell you that, but whatever that serpent said. Now, hatred of evil is demonstrated by loving God and loving one's neighbor. That's how you would hate it, let's go forward. Now, let me give you these six matters, uh, six, I would say, ways, multiple fronts to fight evil. We're at war, here's a war strategy. First of all, we fight the evil that is within our own hearts. Start on it. It's a home turf battle. Jeremiah 17:9, "The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked." So, we if we've got to deal with it at that point, if you're going to run out and try to fight in the culture war, and don't minimize the fact that there is one and it's serious business. But don't go out there like Sir Lancelot and seek to take on the evil out there and not know that, you know, I've got some issues inside that I've got to take care of. And you know, God has equipped you and enabled us. He is as by what? The new birth, eternal life, and a new mindset, new desires. He has given that in the power of the Holy Spirit. So that is what we need. So what we need then is that we need eternal life, receive it through faith in Christ, and you know how? It's through the second Adam. I like the way Paul says that. I'd better like it. Paul said it's under the inspiration of the Spirit in Romans. And here is what Jesus says in John 6 and 53 to 56. So Jesus said to them, "'Truly, truly, I say to you, "'unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man "'and drink his blood,' you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Uh, You think, well, that sounds like cannibalism. No, 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 and it's not the communion table. That's not what he's describing here. He's using a very powerful figure of speech, a metaphor to describe what it means by faith to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And to learn to thrive and live and be nourished, nourished in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So we start with that. That evil is something that we have to cope with. Evil is... Sin is a subset of evil, and we've got a fight on our hands. It's the enemy within, and, I, well, let's go to the second. We fight evil by overcoming it with good, overcoming it with good. I'm not going to sit on this one very long because next week we're going to go through those, I think what he, Paul's saying in verse 9 Abhor what is evil, cling to, kolao, get our word glue from that, cling to, stick to, attach yourself tightly to good. And then what are we going to see in 10 and following? We're going to see ways in which then what the good is to be pursued, to come, that's to come. So overcome evil with good, actually this chapter culminates, climaxes with that one, overcome evil with good doing good is obedience to christ we flourish in our walk with christ by walking in god's wisdom oh this is the way the church is to be that the church would be what the church is called to be let the church be the church all these believers loving one another giving for to one another helping one another encouraging one another praying for one another that's the way it's to function. And we overcome evil that way. I, I saw something recently that uh, caught my attention. It was a statement by Martin Lloyd-Jones. I have to say this at this point because some of us may wonder about this matter of love and progress over time. You know, it takes time to really build yourself up in love. You don't just have an epiphany or some some a great momentary experience and suddenly you're in in the love sphere and you're there. It takes time. And the more you love, the more you learn about love and the more you become a genuine lover of Christ and of God. Martin Luther jones said this, this is quote, the more sensitive we become to sin, the more we glorify Christ. Yeah, it tells us something's happening. Something's going on. I didn't know that that was the way love works. Now I do. All right, let's 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 go to this third, third uh, strategy for fighting evil. First of all, we, what do we do? We realize we've got to fight on our hands and working inside, the enemy within, growing, maturing, changing. And then we understand that evil is overcome by good. More to unpack on that later. But we fight evil we fight against evil by knowing the difference between good and evil. Hmm You think, well, wouldn't we? Maybe not. Isaiah 5 and verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, Now, you may be a little cold on where Isaiah 5 and 20 is, but I will tell you, it's quite a chapter. And what Isaiah does in that chapter is that he is taking on behalf of God as God's prophet, he's taking Israel to the cleaners. Look what has happened to you. Do you want to know why your civilization, the one that God gave to you and told you that it would be a good one if you obeyed him? Would you like to know why it's collapsing around you? Would you like to understand why everything is being turned upside down? I, uh, I came across something from, I've got a couple of minutes to spare here on this. I, I'll not string it out. I hope I can at least uh, stir up your curiosity. I read a lengthy article this week. It's a long essay. A friend of mine sent it to me. And it's the title of something of the, the returning. The the gods are returning, the returning of the gods, and it was written by a Jewish writer. She uh, is not a believer in Hamashiach, and the Messiah in Christ, but she says in this essay. Now she's by the way, got bestsellers, New York Times bestseller list. Found you mentioned her name, you might know who she is. Well known third wave feminist. She has notoriety. Great education. Very smart. She says in this article is that something, something terrible has happened from the year 220 to the present day. That's the way she was thinking. She says, it's, it's almost inexplicable what has happened. Civilization has flipped. Flipped. And she goes on to say, oh shorten it up, but she goes on to say she she goes, interestingly there's a lot of error in it, but there is some truth she stumbles over <laughs> the fact that God gave to Israel his covenant relationship with them and promised them good things, but he said, listen your life, your nation is going to fall apart if you disobey me and reject my covenant and turn me out, and I'm going to turn you over to the gods of the pagans from which I delivered you. So she drafts on that, goes further. She even quotes a religious writer, or excuse me, a Christian writer who seems to be a a born-again man who writes very uh, well about this is what's happened into our own nation and Western civilization particularly. What has happened? Where are we going? How could it have changed so quickly? i just say this, that she, the, the bottom line is that she believes that what God has done is turned us over to the pre-Judeo-Christian world, pre-Judeo-Christian worldview, that when God gave to Israel in the midst of a dark, treacherous, evil world, he gave to, to, to Moses up Mount Sinai and gave him the Ten Commandments and formed up a nation, which was a light, light, light in the midst of a dark world, she said... We're going back to that, and the gods. Well, she goes with it this way. She says the gods see a wide open door, and they've come back in to take over civilization again. And as we demean, as we as we mock the Judeo-Christian worldview and want to push it away, who comes in? She usually, she even goes to that. Uh, par- I'm, getting, oh, I'm getting off on this. I told Beth Beth I shouldn't be doing this. All right? Uh, <laughs> that's because she's heard me give. Uh, a much longer talk in a hospital room this past week to somebody about this that what's happened on that story about the demons and possessing a person and then they're cast out and the house is clean but then the demons have an opportunity to come back in and they're worse than they were at the first I'm just telling you what a a non-Christian writer is trying to sort things out what's going on this is crazy in the last three years All right, back to Isaiah 5 Isaiah 5 All right, here's Isaiah in the midst of that collapse and he's saying and he he has about I think there are five or six of these woes woe 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 and this is one of them is that do you know what's happened to you you Israel who had been given the law of God directly from God's mouth you call evil good and good evil ah I take note of what Paul says. We go to the scriptures in five uh, in Hebrews 5 in verse 14. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to discern, distinguish good from evil. I thought that would be important to hear this because you see in this journey of love that God wants to take us and make us glorify him as a as a body of believers is that we've got to know how to distinguish the two so i i can i can tell you this much that what in isaiah 5 it's this we could really launch on any of these these other woes that he mentions where they were turning saying evil a good good is evil and evil is good greed pleasure seeking outside of the boundaries of goodness Uh, materialism trying to find meaning meaning in things perversion of justice but I, I'm, in some way, I'm speaking to the choir here. I don't know, need, I really think I need to ring it long on this, that, listen, we don't know the difference between male and female anymore. Do you think that's a problem? I hope that's not gotten to you. There are two sexes, male, female, biology 101. And don't let anyone try to snooker you away from that any of these gender identity policy uh, parties and so forth the list is long okay i want to go to the next all right how do we fight evil we fight evil is to be fought it's to be fought by biblically informed praying uh-huh uh we're scheduled for a prayer meeting in the sunday school hour two weeks thank you two weeks It's to be, evil is to be fought by informed praying, biblically informed praying. How so? I want to, I want to introduce you or reintroduce many of you to a form of praying that is quite pertinent here. Psalm 109 in verse four, in return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. Oh, I know you need the context of that Psalm and I was uncomfortable just having to pluck it, but. And that whole 109th psalm, it's one of about seven or eight psalms that are decidedly imprecatory in nature. Does that, is that a new word to you? Okay, let me explain what it means. Imprecatory. An imprecation is to call down a curse. Say, God judge them. That's an imprecation. Judge them, judge them, judge them, judge them. And you're going to find some of these, that kind of language in the Psalms. And it, if you want to really, if you want to see some of it that'll really rattle your cage and shake you up, believe the 139th Psalm, among others, Psalm seven, Psalm 35, Psalm 55, Psalm 58, Psalm 69, Psalm, okay, on and on. But here it is, what I mean. Imprecatory praying is the invoking of God's judgment on evil and evildoers. Stay with me. You think, oh, boy, I like that weapon. I like that arrow in my quiver. Let's see what's involved here. Well, what one does in imprecatory praying, we pray that justice will be done. Now, we do have a post-crucifixion resurrection dimension to this imprecatory praying. In the Old Testament, things were not as fully developed or the, the perception with regard to evil in the world and why the evil prosper? Why evil prospers in idolatry, which had a chokehold on most nations. Uh, we live in a Western civilization that had. Well, need I expand that? Some things have changed. However, this is the same. That pray that justice will be done. Demonstrate that justice and righteousness toward the wicked will come to pass. That's Psalm fifty-eight, eleven, and, and uh, verse eleven to show that the authority of God over the wicked, Psalm 59, 3, that's one of those implicatory chapters in the Psalms, to lead the wicked to see God. What you're doing is, and pray this this way, Lord, I pray that you will confound their thinking. I've prayed this way with regard to legislation, with regard to judges. Oh, don't think that's not important as to... Elections matter and who gets appointed to what, uh, whether it's an appellate court, a Supreme Court. That, oh dear God, this is an evil taking babies from the womb and dismembering them and throwing them away. And we argue over, like we're arguing over, whether we want more hamburger stands or less hamburger stands. These are babies. On the same paper, we'll say someone was, uh, 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 it was infanticide, a baby was killed in a mother's womb in an automobile accident. And then we want to go and have created an industry, an industry which sanctions the killing of babies. How an administration can throw all its weight behind that, i tell you, that's the time for some imprecation. Lord, confound them. I'm not praying that they'll fall down and break their neck. I'm praying that, God, I pray that you'll get them confused. Lord, I pray that the right lawyers will show up. Even the lawyers who've got bad intentions will mess up and turn something around. There are ways it can go. Are you with me on that one? Okay, let's move. Five, another way to fight evil. Evil is fought by exposing it. Hmm. Ephesians 5.11. Talk about, now, Ephesus... You, you talk about a culture Beth and I have walked the streets of ancient Ephesus what, a, what memories it evokes if, especially if you know anything about the city of Ephesus from, from the book of Acts in the book of Ephesians and from the book of Revelation and there are the, oh that temple to Diana of the Ephesians how magnificent it had been a false god evil Right there, it's kind of the. It was the low. It was the, the 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 religion, the religion and government. And Paul says, "Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them." There are things that we do need to expose. We, that is, we need to call them out. What do they say? Speak truth to it. Now, be careful. All right, here to the social media crowd. Okay, hold on. Just be careful. You go out into social media. If you go for Twitter, I don't like Twitter. I once was on it. I got so fed up with it. There was just so much garbage to contend with. But I do get it. I mean, I get Twitter post, email, okay. And I look at Twitter and even Instagram, and I don't do TikTok. I'll just ask some younger people and tell them, be careful. Um, super careful, and maybe Facebook, uh, but there's stuff out there, stuff out there. And be careful that victimology, victimology, is a vicious, it's viciously self-destructive. Every, if you want to really get in a preferred class, find out some way you can be classified as a victim. huh? you're a victim? it's sort of notoriety you don't want to go there no you know that's really another form of slavery putting yourself subservient to others who are responsible for who you are and what you do that sounds like a definite uh, almost a definition of slavery and you will hear statements that the tr- the, the truth is within find it um Uh, trust your inner trust your heart trust your brain your brain says to your brain trust me Uh, so dei diversity equity inclusion Uh uh-uh no expose it oh those are deadly deadly the way they're defined oh there is diversity in christ oh for sure it's wonderful it's beautiful there is inclusion by coming only through Christ into faith, into the Lord Jesus Christ. There is inclusion. And there's equity, yes. There is equality of God having distributed His, uh, the gifts of that come to us at, when we're born again and the gifts of the, the Spirit and so forth. But, ah, uh, there's a false gospel out there. And so, I got to, exa- maybe this will, here, excuse me for reading something else, but I thought you wanted to hear this. I said, I'm saying here, expose it. I want to do a little exposing the evil, but in contrast. Here it is, that uh, I take this from, um, this is from uh, Erwin Lutzer's book, No Reason to Hide. And he's, he's addressing the question, will we encourage unity or create division? And he refers to the fact that uh, the New York Times best- bestseller, A Rhythm of Prayer, a collection of meditations for renewal, compounded by editor Sarah Bessey. This supposedly Christian book has prayers which give us a better idea of how social justice theories divide us, causing suspicion and hate. You want to know how? Thanks for asking. All right. In one of the prayers titled, The Prayer of a Weary Black Woman, Dr. Shaniqua Walker Barnes seeks guidance on how to stop caring about white people who inevitably perpetuate racism. You can draw a direct line between social justice teaching and prayers like this. Here's the prayer. It's in the book. Dear God, help me to hate white people or at least to want to hate them. At least I want to stop caring about them individually and collectively. I want to stop caring about their misguided racist souls to stop believing that they can be better, that they can stop being racist. Ah, But in fairness, there is a better story that drafts on that one. You want to hear about it? This is, he says, there's a better way forward. Here's a book entitled uh, The Blood, Parting Words to the Church on Race and Love by preacher and leader John M. Perkins. There he is, Bernice. Listen to this. Bernice grew up in Meridian, Mississippi, about 40 miles from from Mendenhall. This is where John... I knew about John Perkins way back because we had students at Carver, a lot of students who came from Mississippi and in that area. And John Perkins had a tremendous ministry, tremendous. So uh, let me say a little more about that. Here's what he said. He, he was abused, to say the least, if you've heard his, his story. He was abused by white people during the Jim Crow era in the South. In responding, this is the way he writes and speaks to this. He says, I had learned to hate the white people of Mississippi. And if I had not met Jesus, I would have died carrying that heavy burden of hate to the grave. And you know, his entire life was devoted to bringing unity to the church. Understanding, not division. Forgiveness, not retaliation, oneness, nor rancor. And the testimony here's what he writes John Perkins. Oh, and he was treated, about near killed by the authorities. And here's what he writes After my beating in Brandon, a reference to a beating he received in Mississippi that was so severe he was hospitalized, I wanted to be a victim. For persons who see themselves as victims, it's easy to be ensnared by pride. We can carry our pain as a badge of honor and try to whip others with it. I have tried to be very careful since this incident in Brandon to not use what happened to me to make me think I was better than my oppressor. Perkins says that, the care he received in the hospital from white doctors and nurses helped in the healing of his soul and goes on. And she got a fascinating, a, a helpful quote here from, from Tony Evans. Hey, while I'm there, I'll read it. Okay, here it is. <laughs> Tony says, reject a victim mentality. Victimology nurtures unfocused strain, an unfocused strain of resentment rooted in defeatist mentality through which all reality is filtered. I see John Perkins gave his life in sacrifice for others, beaten down, and God used him to create unity and hold things together. And I thank God for some of the students who were influenced, who came and showed up Carver and had been in the ministry all these years as part of the fruit of that ministry. Number six, finally, we must close. Look at this. Evil is fought by preaching, teaching the whole counsel of God in the life of the church. Acts 20, 27. For I do not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Here is the key, folks. This is what's most important. I say this, and I'm not trying to be melodramatic, but I understand that uh, you, you, as a church, you're, we, you're going to have to be looking for another pastor. There is a search committee. And what you want is someone who is strong, a strong pastor teacher, someone who knows the word. The word of God does the work of God through the spirit of God in the people of God. Never abandon that baseline truth. To have consecutive expository preaching by the pastor teacher, whoever he is, that's the best Normal diet for the local church, nothing rival that. That's baseline to everything. And here is this gospel then, which is preached and with all of its uh, all of its implications and what it says to us. Uh, time doesn't permit, but I can walk you through the whole flow of Scripture from Genesis through the historical books where they anticipate. Through the raising up of Israel, there will come a king one day. And then in the prophets, he will come. He will be the Messiah. And you follow and track it through the prophets. And you go in the poetical books and they, in beautiful, beautiful language, describe what it is is to exalt God and to worship him and to love him. And then you come into the gospels and you see Christ. Oh, you'd like to see more, but that's all we need to see in the Gospels. I walked and talked and lived, and how he died for us is we tortured for our sins. We were unattractive people, and Jesus didn't back off because we were unattractive, but love goes to the unattractive, and it's tortured for them. One's tortured and lays down one's life. And then we go to the book of Acts and see the gospel flourish and go out like a spreading flame to the ends of the earth. And we we'll go to the epistles and we find the redemptive work of Christ explained in great detail. And then we come to the book of the Revelation where they see the king is coming and all his power and his glory and his triumph. And that whole counsel of God and all of the truths embedded in that whole counsel of God, we need to feed on them, feed on them, week after week, month after month. Year after year. No substitute for it. Oh, may God help us as a church to find one who will come and lead the flock in that direction and that we can all work together in love for one another in building up the church for the glory of Jesus Christ. Oh, God, our Father, thank you for the Savior. Lord, if there's a man or a woman or a boy or a girl who has heard these words and perhaps they're uneasy about and unsure about Whether they have put their trust in Christ, oh Lord, thank you for that gift of eternal life in Christ. Thank you for this table, Lord, that speaks truth to our hearts about who Christ is and what he has done for us. In his name we pray, amen. We're now going to look, we're going to take the men are going to come and we're going to think about and pray. And I'm going to read some scripture as the men will come for this t-